episode one. Here we are. This is very, very exciting. And so thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of the City Sound podcast. Uh, if you've listened to the intro episode last week, you know what we're all about. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, stop, go back, listen to that, find out what we're doing here and why we're doing it. It's really important. And today uh, we're joined by three very, very special guests, Sophie Canfield, Luke Briggs and Paul Gosling. Beautiful people with beautiful art. Uh, we've got two songs for you and one piece of spoken word, which I hope you really, really do enjoy. Uh, our adventure begins in Leicester because that's where I'm from. So that's what you're going to get. But the bigger picture, we'd love to hear music from all over the place. So if you're listening from another city and you're writing these songs to God and you're thinking, man, I want someone to hear these, then please do get in touch. Uh, get to our Instagram page, our Facebook page. Send an email, citysoundpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know where you're from and what you're doing. And uh, let's just spread this as far as we can. But for now, day one, we're in Leicester and we will be for the foreseeable future um, because we've got a lot of contacts here. So bear with us until we reach your city, but we hope you enjoy the offering uh, that Leicester brings to the table. So please enjoy this interview and the following song by Paul Gosling. Welcome to the show, Paul Gosling. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. How are you doing? Uh, very well, yes. Actually, yesterday I went through my 60 bits of songs that I've recorded bits of. You know, you, you, you get these moments of inspiration and you think, well, I'll just record that and I'll come back to that later. And you think, wow, I can either... You know, yesterday's experience of going through all 60 was, yes, I can see why I abandoned that. Or, oh, what, why did I abandon that? That was, that was quite... Yeah, it had some potential. So I'm going to be revisiting those as I have more time now to uh, maybe develop things. Brilliant. So hopefully as the show goes on, maybe a couple of episodes later, we'll, we'll have you back. Well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? See, yes, all the pressure. Wow, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know. Well, this is it. Now you're accountable. Exactly. Paul, my, f my first question to you is a difficult one. What is your favourite vegetable? My favourite vegetable uh, is probably mushroom. Mushrooms, okay. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's flexible. Yeah. It's, it's not too difficult to digest. Yeah. It goes with things, and um, yeah, I think that's yeah. I'm glad you asked me that. Mm. I'm glad I prepared. Yes, I prepared for that. Yes, well, it's it's a great filler, I think, mushrooms. It is, isn't it? It's yeah. it's not a meal by itself, although it could be. Um, yeah, yeah, and it makes great soup. Yes, good. Well, thanks for that um, profound answer, Paul. Really appreciate that. Well, it's, it's been a great interview. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> Paul, question two. How long have you lived in Leicester? I am born and bred uh, in Leicester. I only had um, a few okay. years away from here when I was a student. Um, but yeah, mm. I've, I've been in pretty much the kind of St. John's area most of my life. So Okay, and for those for those listening who don't know, where is the St. John's area? St. John's area, it's Clarendon Park area of Leicester. Okay, brilliant. And, and how long have you been making music? the way I got into music was I'd, I'd been asked to go and mix the sound for a local Christian band uh, because I had some knowledge uh, I worked in local radio at one point I had a knowledge of you know mixing desks and that kind of thing and I um, I found this rehearsal hall uh, out in Evington somewhere and uh, I turned up and we were hanging around for ages and it became obvious that the, the drummer wasn't going to turn up that night he'd quit the band 
And so they said, um, well, we haven't got a drum kit, but we've got this thing called an Octopad, which was a, a Roland kind of uh, MIDI trigger pad system with eight different drum sounds on it mm-hmm. on, a, a, on a little music stand. And I said, why don't you just try and play a beat along so you can have a rehearsal? Yeah. And I took to it like a duck to water. I'd never played anything like it before, but I, was, I seemed to be quite good at it. Uh, so that's how I developed uh, my sort of musicality. And then I um, I thought it'd be rather good if I could play some kind of keyboard in, as a writing tool, really. Mm. Uh, not with any uh, thought of I, I'd be a performer uh, in, a, in a band like Brave or, or any of the bands I was in. Um, and I went into a music shop and I, I said, uh, oh, excuse me, um, have you got a book with photos of um, hands on keyboards with the name of the chord underneath it. And the guy just rolled his eyes and said, slap this book in front of you, you've got a choice of three here. Obviously it's a common question. Um, Mm. And I taught myself how to construct chord sequences uh, by looking at the photographs and matching my hand movements. So um, yeah, self-taught, but it's it's interesting. I mean, the the whole thing about uh, musicians that I've found, and and I, I do, Away from church, uh, one of my jobs is to interview professional musicians for sort of DVD extras and documentaries and stuff like that. And I talk to them a lot about the songwriting process, and it's really interesting. Most of the most amazing writers have no formal musical education, mm. and some of the most amazing players I've ever played with have really done the grades, the music grades, but can't write to save their lives. They can't. They've got no originality in in terms of being able to write stuff. Right. So uh, it's interesting. I, th- I think the really interesting area is when you've got musicians who have a bit of both. Mm. Um, but that that's a, a small part of a Venn diagram, I think, in yes. my experience. Yes, I was just picturing that Venn diagram in my head as you said it. <laughs> exactly. That's the sweet well, spot, always, isn't it? It always looks good on the radio, doesn't it? Or, or in the podcast. Yes, close your eyes and imagine a Venn diagram. <laughs> 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 we, we do maths as well. That's great. Um, so what... And who are your biggest musical influences over this journey of yours? I suppose in terms of just growing up and listening to my older brother's records, bands like Yes and Genesis and that whole progressive end of things that it could be mm. complex symphonic rock stuff. And then uh, as a teenager, there was a, a big pop star in the 80s called Nick Kershaw, who's still going now, a uh, very, very clever songwriter. Um, but in terms of someone I find inspirational uh, as a Christian uh, songwriter, there's an American guy called Neil Morse, who's a member of various um, different kinds of bands. He does progressive music, he does pop music, kind of folky country stuff, uh, and does worship albums. Um, he's a guy I've met a few times, you know, in my professional capacity, really, really amazing guy. Um, he was in a big cult band called Spock's Beard in the 1990s yeah um big progressive uh, american progressive band um that are just on the edge of breaking through into being very commercial and and very successful and um he Mm. just felt god told told him to leave and just concentrate on doing christian music uh which is an incredibly brave thing to do um but since then he's kind of reconnected with a lot of the secular artists that he used to work with but still managed not to compromise uh, what mm. he wants to say in this music, which I think is yeah, incredible. That's good. And the whole thing with the, you know, the, the track you, you're going to play, DNA. When I was forming these kind of uh, bands that would go out and play the pubs and clubs in Leicester, the the movement musically within the church was to uh, get the standards up in terms of 
the worship band. So we were kind of very inward looking and that was really necessary. And I think the kind of standard of musicianship that I'm around now at St. John's and other places I've been recently, um, is very high compared to what it was when I, I first started playing in worship bands 20, 25 years ago. Um, but I felt that there was this, this kind of gap like, well, that's great, but we should also have excellent music to take out uh, to meet people where they're at right now, which is the pub and the club, uh, who would never dream of walking into a church. So, you know, how else are they going to hear it unless we, you know, if we don't go, who will, was my, my kind of yeah. mission mantra. And so that's what we did for a few years. And in terms of the songwriting, I thought, well, let's do something that sounds like a secular band that isn't giving you the answers. I think that's a mistake that some Christian bands have done. If you go down the more, more like, the, if I, I call it the C.S. Lewis route, you know, he famously wrote mm. the Narnia books, which was Aslan equals Jesus, and the storyline mm. is the Easter storyline. But people weren't aware of that, mm. and they enjoyed that fantasy series without realising they were kind of being semi-indoctrinated or, or getting to, you know, they're, they're being asked uh, to ask the questions, you know, what does this really mean? Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go down that route with music. So DNA specifically is, you know, it's this whole idea when I was writing it was, it was a move towards, um, even in the scientific community, towards, you know, the concept of intelligent design and uh, the undeniability that creation is uh, a miracle that hasn't happened by chance and it's, it's designed. Um, so, you know, who's designed it and, and you know, the, mm. w whatever you think you're going to be, you are designed a certain way for a, a specific purpose in life. So that's what the song was kind mm. of getting people to think about without actually saying, here it is, here's the answer. Yes, yes. That's brilliant. So let's talk about DNA. Um, there's a specific line in it, which I love, which is in the chorus. And it says, tracing your bloodline back to find that you're born again. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind that line? To be honest with you, I thought it just sounded really good. And I thought it was, in a, in a sense, it was quite a provocative thing to, to go into a pub and use the mm. words born again. Yeah. Uh, because it's got connotations for people who are not churched. Uh, and that, that part of the song and that song generally, and the other stuff we were doing to some extent, did spark some really interesting conversations. Mm. But yeah, that line, um, I guess it was really hooked into the whole idea of the, of the whole song which is you know when you really look at the, the miracle of life the undeniability that we are created mm. and if you look back into your own family history there's certain things you can't escape here we are on father's day doing this uh, this interview and the older i get the more like my dad i become whether i i like it or not and there's this whole kind of scientific uh, theory of you know there, there are patterns of behavior definitely patterns of behaviour, not just through um, nurture, uh, being brought up by my dad, but also through through the DNA and through, through you know, genetics and stuff. There are uh, really interesting similarities. And um, yeah, I'm becoming more and more like my dad. This <laughs> is a good thing. He's oh, a, good. He, was, he was a great bloke. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And so what does it mean to you to, to be born again then? Um, January the 7th, uh, 1991 is what it means it's the day I got down on my knees and said I just can't do life on my own and it's got to be more than this I mean there's a, quite a funny story behind how I became a Christian in that I had been brought up in a, um, uh, a Christian home and taken to church and 
like a lot of people, got to my mid-teens and thought, no, this is just not for me. This is all a bit mad. Um, I just want to grow up and leave home and do grown-up things and figure out life for myself, um, which is pretty much what I did. Uh, but one of the people I kind of testified to in my kind of nominal Christian phase, my best friend Dave King, who I was at school with, he wrote to me out of the blue, I was kind of searching for the answers and I, I said to God abstractly one night, do you know, if someone like Dave King could become a Christian, I'd, I'd give it some serious thought. <laughs> About a week later, yeah, you know what's coming. So a week later, uh, Dave wrote to me and said, you never guess what just happened to me. I've just become a born again Christian. Wow. And I immediately went, no, nope, I never said that prayer. I know. <laughs> I take no, it back. I, no, I just imagine that. Yeah. Um, but that got me on the route of seriously exploring Christianity and really what I I didn't go to a church I just opened up the New Testament uh, I had a copy of the NIV and I just honestly I just tried to pull it apart and I couldn't um, hmm. interesting but I, I read a, an interview with John Cleese of Monty Python fame hmm. uh, obviously they, they did the, the semi-sacrilegious film Life of Brian but the idea of that was that they went away and said oh wouldn't it be funny to make fun of Christ and they all went away and read the Gospels and they came back to write this funny film and they said we can't do it because he's just too bang on the money about human nature and wow. and how we should treat one another wow. uh, which is why they, they went down the route of oh may, maybe someone who's mistaken for being the Messiah would be the central character so yeah I was kind of doing what they were doing it's like mm. well I'll, I'll soon pull this apart and of course yeah. um, I couldn't who can once you've seen uh, the truth of the gospel, you can't unsee it. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that line. That's so good. No, thanks for sharing that, Paul. That's really helpful. Final question then. What's next for your music? What is the dream for your music making? I think at the moment, what I'm really exploring is um, music as something to support something else. So what I mean by that is last Christmas at St. John's, our worship coordinator asked me to provide a kind of musical bed for one of our guys to do uh, some uh, like a poetry recital to um, mm -hmm. and also some kind of background atmos stuff and I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of unexplored area for me mm. but the idea that I can create a certain atmosphere and, and support an emotion or mm. um, you know drama or dance or poetry uh, that really appeals to me because it's something I can just pick up and, and do for a bit and, and come back to so so that atmosphere making is something that you would like to do more of yeah i think so um because there's so many applications to it and i, I think you know music is whether we're talking about christian music or not music's an amazing um thing that our emotions in, engage with without really the brain engaging at all necessarily um mm. and of course when you do combine that with worship music or uh some kind of song that uh, is pointing the way towards a truth um that's incredibly powerful um mm. but very difficult to do well I, I find yes but we keep on trying absolutely absolutely that's all we can do we just keep working and if we don't get to perfect then that's totally fine this is it and you never know what effect music will have on people I mean, I'm talking about a song that I wrote nearly 10 years ago. So um, mm. it's good that, you know, you've, you've responded to it and, and enjoyed aspects of it. And, you know, that's a real 
Uh, I think it's like any creative work for Christians. If you just get it out there and get it done, like your podcast, you have no idea who's going to listen to this ultimately mm. and yeah. how it's going to bless them. So, you know, I really hope that you uh, are successful on that level with it. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And really appreciate your time today. Thanks for thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for being open. And I look forward to in the future having you back on. And maybe we'll listen to some of your soundscapes and atmosphere pieces in the future. That'd be cool. Thanks so much, Paul. All right. Bless you. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul uh, and the piece. I mean, I really love that tune. And uh, I said to him off the record how much it reminds me of of the police. His vocals are so sting-like and really, really good to listen to live um, if you ever get the chance. And our second guest today is Sophie Canfield. So welcome to the show, Sophie Canfield. Sophie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Very happy to be talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thanks for being part of the show. So Sophie, the first question for you is, what's your favourite thing about Leicester? I think one of my favourite things is the amount of greenery there is everywhere. Um, Sort of parks and open spaces. Um, Because I came from Bournemouth and I really miss the beach. But what makes up for it is all the the green areas. No, that's lovely. That's lovely. And where's your favourite place to go with, with greenery? I think I'm I'm yet to explore more places, but I really enjoy Alston Meadows. Yes, yes, that's a lovely area. Uh, and Sophie, how long have you been a Christian? I'd probably say, yeah, I've always known God all my life. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've always, yeah, always been a Christian. Um, it's always been a, an important part of my life, but there's definitely been turning points, um, important moments throughout. Um, I think, yeah, maybe... Yeah, when I was a teenager, around the age of 13 was when I kind of mm. really um, made a bigger commitment. And then again, when I was 17, going, going on 18, sort of thinking about future and stuff, God really convicted me. Yeah, and made me realise that actually he's meant to be everything, not just part of my life. Yeah, amazing. And, and that's encouraging for people who have grown up Christians, that it's not, it's not just one moment. Like This is a thing that progresses over time. Um, as we get older, the more the more time we give to God, the more space we give Him, the, the the deeper the deeper our relationship goes, and yeah, so that's really encouraging. And so, more about music. When did you start playing? When did you start singing? I mean, I've always loved singing. Um, yeah, even as a child, I just sing all the time. Yeah, I mean, music is how I've always connected with God. Um, and you know, even when I was um, really, really young, I've got this memory of, of first encountering the Holy Spirit um, just through singing a little song. I mean, I think it even started off with Twinkle Little Star. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Singing's always been important, um, but I think it was, it was around when I was 18 or so that I decided to be much more intentional um, with mm-hmm. worshipping God with my music. Um, so I went out um, with all the cash I'd saved um, from pocket money and things and bought myself a guitar and took it home mm. and, and learnt it, um, self-taught. So uh, that was quite a journey. Um, yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of painful fingers. Yes. <laughs> but I'm so glad I yes. did it. Um, and yeah, it's even still music is what I'm most connected with God. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really encouraging. And anyone who's starting out playing guitar, the hard fingers, that I mean, that lasts a long time. And you've got to just push through it. Yeah. And so, so how, has your, how has your worship evolved over time? So you said... You know, you got to 18. That was when you started really uh, focusing your attention on worship. And, and since then, what, is, what does worship look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, worship involves sort of living your life for God, doesn't it? It's, it's honouring God with everything we have, um, mm. not, not just music. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think I've, I've definitely been on a journey of that, of learning to really serve and worship God um, in all areas of my life. But actually, as I've started to step out more in that, the music side of things has become a bigger thing as well. Um, mm. I'm learning to really give everything um, when I sing God. I'm not, I'm not just singing a, a pretty song to, to God. Like I'm, I'm giving everything in that moment. 
um, mm. giving him all of my attention, all of my love. Um, yeah, and I think the, the two go hand in hand. The more the more time I spend um, loving God with my songs, the more the more I find myself loving God in my everyday life. Um, and the more I find myself loving God in my everyday life, I can't help but sing sing out to God. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's that's really encouraging. Really nice to hear. So let's let's go specifically onto the song then. Um, the song we're going to listen to you've sent us is called Your Voice. How important is hearing God's voice for you? It's so important because I, I want to make sure that I'm always listening to God for, for guidance um, and, yeah, for where he's calling me. Um, but also I think there's real intimacy in hearing God's voice because it, it's, it's about relationship with God. Mm. Um, yeah, I think even when you think about prayer and stuff, we think about um, asking God for things and talking to him and all that stuff. But actually listening to him is, is maybe even more important sometimes. Um, just to yeah, hear what he's doing and hear what he's saying and um, hearing his voice reminds us, and I sing about it in the song, it reminds us of how powerful he is, but also that he is there for us um, and that he knows us and that he cares for us. That's so good. And um, so how has how your experience of hearing God's voice changed and progressed the longer you've been a Christian? Well, I know how to listen to God's voice a whole lot more than I did even sort of several years back. And a lot of that's actually come from stepping out in what I think is God's voice. Yeah, mm. I really believed God calling me certain ways, so I stepped out in them. And, you know, it, it becomes clear that it was God. Um, and it's sure. given me the boldness to sort of step out more and, and listen more. But also I think I've over the years learned to be much more intentional about setting time aside in my everyday life and, and rhythms of life and stuff to just be with God. Um, yeah, like people talk about quiet times and stuff, I guess that kind of thing. But just, yeah, making sure I'm really intentional about carving out time in my life just to just to listen to God. Mm. just to uh, be with him and encounter him and actually as I've done that um, as I've set aside those those intentional times I find that actually it's I'm, I'm walking so much closer to God as a whole so it's so much easier to hear God even in the business of life as I'm going about my day and doing my work um, I work at a nursery with lots of little children so yeah it's busy lots of little children running around making lots of noise yeah. but I'm still able to hear God in those times and 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 know that he's there and I think a lot of that is to do with making intentional time to be with God to listen to him um, and that's what helps me just know him more and I think the more you know God the more you hear him yeah and I think that's the secret to a fruitful life hearing God's voice uh, and that's what we see in in Jesus's life is he heard God's voice he, he took time to go away and be with his father and listen to his father and that was what enabled him to say what he said uh, did what he did um, so that's amazing. It's really encouraging to hear that from you, Sophie. And so the final question then, what is the dream for your music? Oh, I feel like that's quite a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. I'll give you some time. Yeah, I mean, I start, when I started out writing songs and things, it was more for me. Um, for, well, not it was for God, but it was for sort of me and God, mm. my relationship with him. And um, I suppose my songwriting's kind of become a way of, of journaling some people journal write down what God's doing and and mm. speak with God through that way uh, whereas I've always done it through songwriting 
Um, but yeah, I guess over the last couple of years, I felt God challenged me that actually this is a gift he's given me to share. Um, and all the songs I've written, that it is me journaling and therefore they're like testimonies of what God's done in my life and testimonies of who God is. Um, so yeah, I guess I want to I wanna share my songs and I want my songs to, to reach people um, and speak to them. Um, I mean, I don't know how I'll go about sharing them yet or... I mean, I'd love, I'd love one day even to, to sort of um, record a, a worship album of some sort, whether that's just me or with people, I don't know. But yeah, that would, that's definitely a big dream of mine. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's quite vulnerable to share those, share those big dreams, but I really appreciate that. And you've certainly come to the right place for uh, getting your music heard as well. So uh, maybe in the future, we'll have you back on. We'll hear some more of your music. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, Sophie, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again soon in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really good.
And a really lovely tune there from Sophie. And a good preach in the interview. Really good stuff about hearing God's voice uh, in the day-to-day and some really good things to take away there. So it's a free sermon for you as well as free music. And our final guest is Luke Briggs, spoken word artist from Leicester. Luke is an ordained minister, in fact, an an ex-vicar in the Church of England and is currently uh, the chaplain at University of Leicester. Uh, But in his spare time, he he dabbles in spoken word, dabbles very well, as far as I'm concerned. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Luke, a a very hot topic at the moment. He's written a piece uh, about racism and white privilege. Luke brings a lot of wisdom to the table in this conversation and some really good insights into creativity and processing uh, through your art. So I do hope you enjoy it. And uh, you can find Luke on YouTube if you type in Luke Briggs. He's got lots more uh, spoken word pieces on there. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Luke and his following spoken word piece. Uh, Big City Sound, welcome to Mr. Luke Briggs. Hello. How are you doing, Luke? I'm all right, thanks. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well. Very, very happy to have you on the show. I'm very happy to. Uh, I've been in lockdown with three little boys for 12 weeks, so it's nice to um, oh, mate. Just disappear and do something else for a little bit, as brilliant as they are. Yeah, well, you're very welcome here in this, in this fake studio over Zoom. I'm going to throw you in the deep end. Would you rather have hands for feet or feet for hands? Uh... Hands for feet because you can walk on your hands and then you still have hands, right? To do all the other hand stuff with. You would, absolutely. So that's better, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty Otherwise, good. Otherwise, how would I eat? with If I had feet for hands, I couldn't eat. I really like eating. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think most yeah. people will relate to that. I certainly do. You could use chopsticks with your toes, I suppose, but. You could, but that seems like more effort than necessary. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks for that. Very quick, very quick answer there. Very efficient. (laughs) Very good. Luke, how long have you been living in Leicester? Uh, I've been in Leicester for uh, almost exactly a year, like a year and a few days. Um, So yeah, not not that long. Okay. And and what do you you love about it? What do I love about Leicester? Got a much better football team than anywhere else I've lived. That's nice. (laughs) And we live quite near to the stadium. I've been once. I went. I, think I went to the last game before lockdown hit. So um, that's a kind of a surreal, yeah, photos yeah. to look back on now of the thousands of people. Um, no, so that's good. Yeah. Um, Leicester's a a really diverse city, and um, not everywhere that I've lived has been like that. Where I grew up wasn't like that, and so um, that's something that that's cool about it, and something I'm I'm learning a lot about lately. Um, mm. Yeah, and Leicester's good because it's a city. But I, I, I always, I, I lived in London for a little bit, and London was just like too big, too fast, just too crazy. And since then, I've really enjoyed whenever I've lived. I've moved around quite a bit, but I enjoy living in a city that is a city. So it's got all the kind of vibrancy of, of being a city, but it's also small enough to kind of get around or get out to the countryside or whatever. Yeah. Living in a city and getting out to the countryside is kind of an ideal mix for me. Yeah, great. And so when you're not working, where can we find you? Um, when I'm not working, where can you find me? Well, usually hanging out with my kids because, as I mentioned, there's there's three yes. of them. There's six, four, and two, three little boys. So, 
yes, like being in a professional wrestling match most of the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, doing that, um, I'm involved in a, a church, local church, and also um, what's called a new monastic community. It's called Community of the Tree of Life. That's in Leicester City Centre. So kind of that was part of the reason we moved to Leicester, although that's not my job. Um, that's how me and my wife ended up here and we've been getting involved in that and learning a lot from that. I love playing sport, but I don't do that much of it. Been running through lockdown though. I've learned that I can run with a pram, so that's uh, that's been handy. Oh, very Little impressive. Unexpected blessing of the lockdown, like getting a bit fitter. Yeah. Nice. Brilliant. I was really unfit before that, so yeah. Right. Couch to 5K. Couch to 5K with pram. Yeah, with pram. It turns out I can do it. I, I, I didn't know I could do that, but turns out turns out I can. He's, he's not too heavy, thankfully. And Luke, you're here as a spoken word artist. And uh, this is something that is maybe not as not as common as just regular music. Uh, mm. Most people m- might think there's music and then there's maybe poetry, uh, but spoken word seems to have seen a, a somewhat of a resurgence uh, in the last couple of months and years, uh, particularly in my uh, in my awareness. So, when did you start writing spoken word? Yeah, yeah. So for me, my journey into it is a weird one. You, like you mentioned there about is it is it music is it poetry i guess um i I worked out as a kid that i could i had something about words that i could just do there's a lot of things i can't i've got got something called dyspraxia so there's a lot of practical stuff that a lot of people find easy that my brain doesn't tell me how to do you know so things like eating with a knife and fork and tying shoelaces were always really difficult for me um but um for some reason my brain can do words it just links up words with kind of rhyme and alliteration and that sort of thing but i think my main influence for that was actually probably hip-hop music like listening to hip-hop music as a kid and then at one point a lot of the hip-hop music i had to cut myself off from because it it wasn't that good for me as a teenager in the lyrical content and i started to realize that was actually having an effect on me in kind of my mid-teens and i found some more i guess some more nourishing and positive and inspiring um sort of influences within that but um, I didn't actually know that spoken word was a thing until I'd until I'd already started doing it, really. And I guess because of my my background, um, sort of socially and ethnically, it, it isn't. It would be hard to kind of be a hip hop artist with my background. But you can kind of spoken word was a version of that that I that I could kind of could do and could fit with and mesh with, and and I guess over time just started to experiment more with and then gradually and only in quite recent times actually like do a bit more publicly and start to um record some stuff and that kind of thing it was it was a kind of a thing that was just in the background and kind of hidden away from most people for a a long time too long really combination of fear and apathy um but still i still haven't actually like listened to or watched that much spoken word from other people i've started to but really most of it came from hip hop and just just being like, well, I can't play musical instruments, but I can string words together. Mm. So, yeah. That's awesome. How do you combine that talent with an act of worship? How is it, how important is it to you that, that they go together? So sometimes, sometimes I've done that. I've specifically used this skill or gift or this art form, like specifically in the context of, of church worship and stuff um uh 
Um, my, by my background, I'm a, I'm a Church of England vicar. I got ordained when I was 25, which is a bit unusual. So I've worked for churches and occasionally sort of delib- like specifically kind of explicitly done a worship spoken word piece like around Easter or Pentecost or Christmas or you know whatever theme of prayer or a, a Bible passage or story. But I think even when it's not that, even when it's just something that's coming out of just life and personal circumstances or uh, more recently I've done some stuff around just current events like yeah d- different bits and pieces in the news and that kind of, which I've not really done before and w- all of that is worship in the sense of in the way that all of life is worship so it, it's anyway, I think whenever you're expressing an art form and I'm sure a lot of your guests will say this you know it's not just the stuff that explicitly refers to God or faith that that is that is worship it's the whole of that and i think you see that i think you see that in scripture actually i think the psalms a lot of the time are kind of that whole range that whole gamut of human emotion um i'm really interested in like the amount of lament in the psalms and that kind of sense of what is going on and what and what how long is this going to be like this and yeah i think poetry and music um lend themselves to like being a good outlet and a good expression for that that negative emotion or that confusion or doubt or that kind of um you know that tension and not just the sort of out and out praise fest although that's part of it as well and that it's good to express joy and, and hope as well or hope is a little bit of both really i suppose often it's the hope in the mess um actually that's probably a, mm. a theme of a lot of my work i guess yeah Mm, that's so great yeah really really well put really good insight so let's talk about the piece that you sent to us today which is entitled i'm a white man and i'm sorry talk to us about this piece um how did it come about yeah um yeah this is i mean it's really different and a different kind of story and journey than a lot of my um a lot of my other stuff but uh, and i was really super nervous uh going public with this piece i guess um but uh obviously as we record this now that you know the news in the last few weeks has been a lot of focus on racism um, there was the, the death of george floyd and all the process that that sparked and then a kind of what looks to me like a, just a more sort of overt consciousness around the, those those questions and those issues and that history and that those events for for me intersected with kind of a, a journey I was already on of learning about um, learning about racism, learning about white privilege, which which I have and I, I believe is a real thing. And actually, you know, I was this is something that I was completely oblivious to, shamefully, you know, only a few months ago. But having moved to Leicester to a really diverse city, I work at the university as a chaplain, so that's a really diverse um, kind of demographic cross-section with the, the student body more so than the staff. So I'd started to think, you know, this is something I need to know about and get clued up on. And I'd sat talking with a friend, had a meeting in a coffee shop, um, a friend of mine who is uh, Belgian Congolese and just has a load of experience sort of personally and academically in this area. is really clued up. And so just sitting for two hours and kind of, learning all this stuff and hearing, hearing all the stuff that I was, I'd just been unaware of and then going away and trying to educate myself and doing a bit of reading. Um, I've been reading a, a book by 
guy called Ben Lindsay. It's just called We Need to Talk About Race. And it specifically, um, specifically addresses white majority churches, actually, specifically about UK church context. So mm. for me, as someone who'd been in a, a, you know, a white church leader in, a, in the Church of England, you know, mm. um, worth reading. And then that news hit and kind of in the midst of like reading this book and having these conversations and then seeing the, seeing the, you know, the horrible video, um, of, of what happened with George Floyd and seeing the social media kind of stuff, this piece just kind of just came out. And it was one of those, you know, some pieces you think I'm going to write about this and you sit down and you write it. And, um, you know, I've had to learn over the years. I can actually do that. I can sit with a brief. If someone says, write about this thing, I can have a crack at it. I used to think it was just, you have moments of a flash of inspiration and you've got to take it or leave it. You've got to do it there and then or not at all. This was more one of those. It was like, I'd been reading, I'd been thinking, I was feeling disturbed. I'd, I'd, I'd taken a break to have lunch, sat down outside with a cup of tea and I just got these first few first few words you know i'm a i'm a white man and i'm sorry i don't know my actual ancestry but i do know a bit of history generally and it's not pretty once you undo the whitewash and and i just thought i better write that down quick and i had like five minutes before i had to take over looking after my kids so my wife could get some work done so i was like okay write that down and then go hang out with the kids for a couple hours and then when i sat back down at my desk i thought let's see if there's any more in this and the whole thing kind of just poured out. So a lot of it was in my subconscious. And there's ups and downs. There's good things and bad things about that. Because what it means is, you know, when you address a, a kind of hot button, controversial and emotive issue in a piece of art, you, you're aware right at the start that you're not going to say everything that needs to be said. And you're not going to say everything in the, in the order that you would if you were writing like a lecture or a, an academic article or something like that or something journalistic. Yeah. Because it's art, so it's coming out of just whatever's there in your emotion, your subconscious, in your own personal journey, and that you know that means you write it, and then you think, how, you think of every way that it's going to be could be misunderstood and misinterpreted, um, and um, yeah, now now I can just browse through the YouTube comments to find that, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and see see the the people who have completely missed what I'm trying to say with it or just don't like it. And, yeah. That's, but that's you know what I'm learning. That's that's part of part of being a creative, in any sense, isn't it? And that's part of sharing sharing your creativity. Is you have to be up for being misunderstood. Um, mm-hmm. And the rest of the story is that I then ran that by a few of my black friends from who from different walks of life and different parts of the world, um, and I kind of sent this to sort of three or four people to get feedback and to sense check it and to sort of say okay how does this come across Mm. to you with your you know your lived experience and your um you know your cultural background and your history and and all of that and um you know got some good kind of constructive feedback from a couple of them some good positive you know overwhelmingly positive feedback from a couple of them and thought, okay, I've got enough to think, I've got enough to go off to be willing to share this. And so, yeah, that's a long answer to a short question, Dan. Sorry, I have to edit well, some. No, it's, a, it's such a big topic with with so many nuances. So, it's re- it's really helpful to hear your insight. And I think I think you handled that process, which was wisdom. 
um, in in you know bouncing that idea off friends and yeah, it's it's so easy to be misunderstood, misrepresented, and and I think you touched on something, the really vulnerable side of sharing your art is is so much of our art is almost us us processing something, it's like journaling, mm. and uh, uh, another one of our guests said it, she's basically journaling when she's writing songs, so it is a really vulnerable thing. Mm. So, so it's fascinating when you then try and think, okay, what am I trying to do with this? Because it's just come out of my subconscious and my experience, but mm. I'm also trying to say something of value. And so the, the real good question that one of my friends asked me was like, "Who? who's your audience? Who are you addressing it to? Because you've started the, why have you started by saying, I'm a white man and I'm sorry. What? Who Who are you addressing? And, and I had to tweak some of the lines because of that, because I realized, mm. well, actually in parts of it, I'm addressing people with a similar background to me who've completely missed their white privilege and I'm trying to help them understand that and see that and get their head around it. But in other parts of the piece, I'm, I'm addressing my black friends and, and black people who I don't know and haven't met and, and haven't had their experience. And I'm trying to genuinely sort of take some responsibility for, um, you know, as a white man for the, the history of my race is what I'm trying to do. And so, um, yeah, it was helpful to think some of that through and tweet. And I think that can be a helpful part of the creative process as well is, you can either go one of two ways. You can either say, no, this is what I wrote in the moment when I was feeling that flash of inspiration yeah. and don't touch it or it's tainted it. Or you can kind of go back later and edit and revise and think, is there anything that I want to tweak because it gets the message right? And yeah, sometimes it's a, a combination of both really. It's like, don't, don't mess with it too much or you're trying to just, mm. you're trying to, you'll just over, like when a song is overproduced, you could do that with spoken word as yeah. well, I think. Um, and then, yeah, and other times it's, you know, that editing, revising process is helpful. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, the last question I have for you, Luke, is the big one. What is next for your art? What's your dream? Great question. Um, do you know what? I don't know. I recorded some stuff with a friend, just a, a, a bunch of, because I've, I've been writing for about maybe 10 or 11 years and not sharing most of it. And so I recorded some stuff with a with a friend, just audio, um, just a few of my best pieces that are kind of a range of different stuff. And that's kind of just sitting there waiting for us to do something with it. Maybe it's him putting some music to it. And maybe it's, I don't know, SoundCloud or something like that. Um, and then there's the more kind of video side where I've got friends who are good on the video media stuff, um, uh, but we've been in, we've been in lockdown and all of that and so i, I started a mm. youtube channel and um they're kind of really low-key low pro low production value it's just me and an iphone camera and a, and a cheap microphone kind of you know recording some stuff but i've got that going so that's just luke briggs my name is the, is the youtube channel and so well you know what even if it's not a lot of, you know the, the aim isn't like oh let's get the watch time up to thousands of minutes and loads of prescribe subscribers and make money out of it the point isn't to monetize it i've got a job so the point is just if i if i've got if some people enjoy this art form and there's a bit of a novelty value to it with spoken word as well people don't hear that much of it a lot of people um but they like it well then maybe i can just do something with kind of video and social media so I've been I've started branching out into a little bit of that. I think once once the world kind of gets 
back to a point where people can gather a little bit more, then there'll be a question for me over whether I try to push myself into like live performing spoken word a bit more. Mm. But I've always kind of, um, due to the combination of fear, busyness and apathy, I've always kind of shied away from that a little bit. So that that would be an area I could push myself. But I don't know, really. The main thing is to keep writing because I've gone through big spells of not writing very much as well. And recently been a bit uh, a bit more intentional about getting that getting that output and um i settle for that if nothing else just just writing more frequently because the more you write the more likely you are to come up with something decent at some point mm. yeah that's awesome thanks so much for sharing that luke and and thank you so much for your time today and your honesty and uh, we really value your your insight into the creative process and also your wisdom in, in handling uh, the whole situation with your with your art, uh, specifically this piece we're going to listen to now. Well, thank you. Thanks so, for trying to get uh, thanks for getting our city on the map with your podcast. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. And uh, ho- hopefully we'll have you back on uh, in the future and hear some more of your pieces. Great. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Luke. I am a white man. I am a white man and I'm sorry. I am a white man and I don't know my actual ancestry, but I do know a bit of history, generally, and I know enough to know that it is not pretty. Once you undo the whitewash, I am so sorry for what my family did to other strands of humanity. I used to think it was not my problem, precisely because it was way back in history. I mean, isn't all that in the distant past? What does that have to do with me? I've done nothing wrong independently. Why can't we just move on and let it be? But tell you what, I tell you why from what I'm learning now, my guy, is because privilege is still a thing that's afforded some like the likes of me. And tragically, it was built on the brutal backdrop of slavery. We were in so much debt when we first set slaves free. Paying it off took centuries. And this is not how it's meant to be. When the way for that was paved by the taxes that we raised, so then people paid for their forefathers just to be. If we consider it all equally, then the bad fact is that the system's still rigged. It's like a lock and only some have the key. So that's why I, as a white man, am sorry. I'm sorry that my fathers beat your fathers into untrue submission. I'm sorry that their mother's sister's brothers got sold like meat bought cold and put through horrors untold merely to make more gold for a mission, just to strengthen an imperial position. I'm sorry that this still keeps another race rich while for you life can truly be prison. I am a white man and I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I don't have to try that hard to find role models in the media and fiction and film and scripture based stale illustrations and wrong rewrites that really might look like me. I'm sorry that when I go for a run, wearing sports clothes for fun as well as practicality, I don't have to worry about getting arrested or abused in a case of misused, mistaken identity. I am a white man and I'm sorry. I'm sorry because the odds aren't stacked against me. I don't know what the answer is to this, honestly. I don't know what I might actually factually do to make a difference to you with integrity, but I'm refusing to let this be. 
To just avert my right eye and simply be colorblind. I'm making up for lost time and I might not do too fine at frequently fighting for justice. I know apology is not the same as reparation and I know I must listen to voices like yours from faces different to mine if I want to stand against what is racist. I don't know what it looks like to face this, but I know I want to learn endlessly. And I know that I am a white man and I'm sorry. So good. And thank you so much to all three of our guests today, Paul Gosling, Sophie Canfield and Luke Briggs. It's been a privilege to speak to you and hear your art. And I hope you listeners have enjoyed this feast for your ears. As it says in the description, this was a pilot episode. So uh, we're not, we haven't got anything coming up next week or the week after. We just want feedback from this, this episode uh, and we'll go from there. But I promise you we'll, we will be back. So please do let us know your thoughts on this episode on our Facebook page, City Sound Podcast, Instagram at citysound.podcast and email citysoundpodcast at gmail.com. Really love to hear your thoughts and how we can make this show better and more enjoyable for you, whether you're commuting or, or in the gym or just lying down. But thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing day, amazing evening, whatever you're doing, and we'll see you next time.